Good evening, and you're very welcome to another episode, the 34th episode this season of the uh, Women's Football Podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. And uh, it's me, Bethany Early, for the next, I suppose, 45 minutes to an hour or so with Aaron Clark of the WNL Show. Aaron, uh, you're very welcome back. How people put up with us at 34 episodes I know. I'm not listen anymore, but they do in their hundreds, if not thousands, most weeks uh, to what is still a fairly niche league within the Irish sporting sphere, but growing as we're seeing week on week. We're going to be talking about plenty of stuff over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. We've got plenty to talk about. We're going to talk about the women's national team, of course, they're in action later in the month, the doubleheader against Albania. Tala Stadium sold out in minutes. Uh, we'll be talking about maybe whether that was the right choice or not, or maybe whether there's still a chance to change that up and to move stuff to the Aviva. That would be my preferred choice, but we'll talk about that later on in the show. We'll be chatting with some of the Irish girls, lighting it up around the globe, and also about the weather-affected uh, weekend of action that we just had three of the five games uh, did not survive the weather but we will be back to talk about Sligo Rovers 4-1 victory over Bohemians some impressive long-range goals uh, were they meant were they a bit accidental were they a bit fluky we'll talk about that as well uh, we might start though Aaron with the other game that did take place over the weekend, uh, the one that survived it, and that's Shells they've kept their uh, challenge to the top of the league going uh, albeit at this stage looking fairly futile given the way the the season's panning out a 2-0 victory for them in Belfield against DLR Waves um, there's not a whole pile more Noel King's side can do do you know what's, do you know you're talking about this game surviving so many fears this game wasn't going to survive especially when we were seeing nothing about pitch inspections nothing about that then I rock up to the bowl on Saturday afternoon and you see Robin Bulger with like a, a, a specific type of sweeping, sweeping brush for taking water off the pitches and and the DLR staff out sort of trying to fix to make sure the pitch is playable at three o'clock and you're sort of like, oh no. But listen, it wasn't the best game of football. It was never going to be with the conditions. Didn't really give give an opportunity at all for, for either side to play foot play a lot of football. The one surprising in the DLR Waves lineup was Regila asking 19 goal instead of Eve Bandana. Eve was there. Um, I thought Regila handled herself quite well. Made some good saves to them. Um looked comfortable enough considering she hasn't played an awful lot of first-team football. I think that's her first league appearance this season. Probably only got a handful of other appearances in, in general. Shells, they put the pressure on early. You know, they, they huffed and puffed. A lot of shots from distance. Megan Smith-Lynch looked dangerous. I thought I thought Kerry Letman was dangerous throughout the entire game. It's never easy going back to play against her old club. I thought she was one of their best players. And when the goal arrived, Pearl Slattery just back from injury, you sort of asked me, Previously, when she pulled out the game, the, the last game at the cup game against DLR, would she be back? She come back with a bang and sort of opened the score and a, a nice header into the bottom corner. How many goals that her and Noel Murray have now linked up for at this stage? You, I'd say I'd say it'd be hard. It'd be a hard one to, 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 to calculate. And to be honest with you, it, it only looked as though there would be one winner. While DLR was had little bits of huffs and puffs and moments, they didn't really test Amanda McQuillan in the in the shells goal and. When the second goal came, you were sort of saying Carrie Lettman probably deserved the goal. She'd been brilliant for them throughout the game and she just put it right across Regal Askinoid into the far corner and the keeper could do nothing about it. But like it was moments before it shells of the ball cleared off the line, Amber Cosgrove. Like the problem with DLR is they're up against a much more experienced side. And I think that's the probably the biggest difference in these sort of games is experience is what's getting she got shells over the line and sort of DLR just couldn't really handle the pressure as much and like I don't think it was a, a very disappointing DLR's performance, but I think Shells, for them, it was probably a bit of a battle what they probably would have wanted to come into that Rovers game, especially when we talk about Sean McRover's not playing. 
Yeah, we'll be talking about Sean McCrovers and Shells in just a few moments because that's going to be the, the highlight of the coming week. But let's talk about that first goal for, for Shells. We've talked about it plenty of time. Uh, those two combine in, in both directions. Uh, Noel to Pearl, header. You talk about uh, Rugele. I, I, I can't pronounce it. I'm not sure. Yeah, ask yeah. Uh, but Rugele came. She did well, but she will be disappointed with that first goal. It kind of seemed to go through her almost. Yeah, I think I think I think she will. The thing is, when it's sort of when it's sort of, the way it was hit, it sort of it would be difficult in them sort of conditions to keep it out. If it's a drier conditions, you probably expect her to keep it out. But like I, I put a photograph on social media of someone taking a camera, which player was taking a throw in, and you can see when she goes to throw the ball, the water coming off coming off the ball, how much of a slippy, greasy surface it was, and how much slippy the ball. I do agree; she probably will be a bit disappointed with that. But like, I think no, you got to give you got to give. Yeah, there's nothing she can do with the second though, to be fair. No, no, and she made a good save not long before not long before that either. But like like realistically, these are the sort of games where you probably would have had a bit of fear that DLR might ship four, five, six in these games and they've sort of steady to ship a little bit over the last over the last period of time. And I think that's that's all Laura can re- really ask for. The problem is, and she said it to me after the game, their last six games are against top six sides. So it's not as if, you know, they 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 have opportunities where they were playing teams maybe of their level. They're playing teams who were all above them, and it's going to be very difficult. And for her, for her, it's probably difficult to keep them motivated, keep them going. But they seem to respond, and she's not afraid to use her bench and give players an opportunity to sort of come on and and, and try things as well. There was a, one one of the youngsters made her debut as well at the weekend. So like, I think from a, from a DLOA's point of view, it's sort of a case of reassessing what players they have, what players they want to hold on to for next season and sort of putting them the stepping stones in place. Like the season for them has tailed, tailed out once they were beaten in the cup. And, but I, I think for them, they, they definitely gave themselves a good account. Um, delighted to see the pitch did hold up. I didn't think it would. But, you know, the, the ball, the ball tends, to, tends to do that do that in these sort of conditions. I don't think there's been many games called off. I think when you, when you look back, the called off was more for sprinklers as exploded or sprinklers hadn't stopped. And that's where we we tend to see games in the bowl. But from Michelle's viewpoint, Noel King, will he be happy? He says, he's, I listened to a couple of bits of him after the game. He was happy enough. Probably not happy with the clinicalness, but the fact that they, they drove they drove on, they, they got they got the win. He has to be happy with the three points, especially with... Shamrock Rovers not playing and, and Pima being idle to sort of close that gap to six points. They do have a chance this weekend, of course. So they're pretty much killing off Shamrock Rovers' title challenge. Uh, they travelled to Talat for that game. Um, I'll flash up the, the league table now just at the moment because you can kind of, uh, rather than me talking through it, you'll, you'll see it for yourselves. But uh, they're, they're in second place, six points behind Shell or Pease with, with four games to play for both those sides. Rovers with an extra game, three points further back. But if Rovers were to lose at the weekend, it would really put, with, with Pimount expected to win in, against Treaty, um, it would put 12 points between the sides, four games left. Rovers would be out of it effectively, uh, probably even out of second place with, with six points to, to bridge against uh, Shells, even with those four games. You just can't see it happen, can you? Yeah, but I'll flip it again, though, Brefney, and add another another circumvent to it. If, either, if these two sides draw, both of them are over. Yeah. Simple as that. I don't. A draw doesn't do. A draw doesn't do either of them. The either of them any good. I think one of these teams has to win to actually to stay in the title race, and I think that's what makes it even more exciting is the fact that both managers know a draw is not good enough. So, what will happen later on if the game is tight and nervy? If it's a draw later on, will one of them decide let's throw someone else up top or, or go for it? Because realistically, there's no point in settling for second place. The way it's fallen, 
with Pimel kicking off 15 minutes later against Treaty. Like, you're right and you're saying where everybody's going to expect Pimel to beat Treaty. What I do think Treaty will put it up to them. I think for the fact that the game is in Pimel as well, there'll be a lot of people keeping close eyes. Like, realistically, for me, a draw is not good enough for either teams because I think I think Pimel will get the three points and then it could nearly turn into a, a bit of procession, more of the... The, how would you say the, the pressure off Piedmont if these two sides draw? Whereas I think if if either one of these sides win, with the fact that Piedmont still have to play Galway and still have to play Wexford, it sort of gives that little bit of an outside chance. Like we've seen what happened a couple of years ago, as much as James O'Callum will, will hate us constantly saying this and bringing this up. But you're trying like, to get off James O'Callaghan's Christmas card list, aren't you? It's not, it's not, I love James O'Callaghan. I have so much time for James O'Callaghan, but. It has to be said, 2021, they, they capitulated and probably what, what, what will go down as the worst ever collapse for, for in terms of a, of a league title. And That's it. You've they, done it. You're off the list. Well done. <laughs> they, won't, they won't want to do it again. I think I think they're, the mental fortitude of the Piedmont side, they won't do it again. But I just think if either Shells or Wexford or Shells or Shamrock Rovers do get a win, it just put that thought back in the mind a small little bit to sort of say, hold on, you know, we were in this similar position a couple of years ago and because there's no doubt about it, like Wexford, Galway won fourth place, Wexford won fourth place. So both of them sides will be gunning for that result That result, and it makes it more interesting for us, but, you know, I'm Let's not going to... Before we get bogged down into next week's games, we will touch on them again at the later in the show. But uh, first of all, let's talk about the other game that took place last week, the Sligo Rovers game. Let's get that wrapped up, first of all. Uh, 4-1 winners at home against Bohemians. On paper, on the face of it, an impressive victory. When you actually dig into it, a couple of them were fairly fortuitous. The final goal, though, was well taken. Good work as well then from Kerry Lockley for the first one. But um, two long-range efforts from Sligo, one direct from a corner, one where the wind just seemed to catch it. Um, and bring it in over the head of Rachel Kelly. Bows themselves, fortuitous, probably across uh, a bit adrift and uh, into the back of the net uh, for their goal as well. So decent efforts, but how many of them were fully intentional uh, remains to be seen a bit, maybe? I, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do what I told you so, because I did say last week on the show that Sligo would get something out of it, something out of this game. I just, I just felt that Bowes just with the the slump they're on at the minute. It was it was one of them sort of games where going to Sligo. Rough, wet conditions. It just didn't have everything made for 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 a Bose performance. But then you look at you look at Sligo. It was rainy. It was wet when they beat Shelbourne on TG Carr. They 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 used the elements to their to their advantage. And like as much as as much as I'm saying some of the goals are a bit fortuitous. Steve Feeney won't care as long as as long as he sees that W beside the beside the column. He won't care whether it's a, a one 0 win or a four one win. I think from a from a Sligo viewpoint, they're actually building a little bit of form if you consider the fact that they've got through the first round of the cup, they got through the quarterfinals of the cup, or they get, and now they're into the semi-finals of the cup. Plus, they beat Bowes. Like to beat Bowes home and away in, in in the space of a couple of weeks is a massive is a massive big uplifting for uplifting for them. And like they're going, they're now going into a phase where you'd have to say they've they've got a couple, they got a game or two where they can potentially pick up even more even more points and sort of get themselves that little bit of a step further up. Can can they get back above treaty? Like realistically, if you turned around to them with the season they've had and said, you may finish you may finish you may finish above Cork and Treaty, they probably they'd say yes considering they, they they struggled to get any sort of points earlier on the season. And like it's been there's no doubt about it. We've seldom multiple times it's been a difficult a difficult second a season for them 
Paul McGarry coming back in and that's scoring twice. Like it's it's a bit of experience that they probably need as uh, need as well. And like there's a lot of lessons that they'll learn off off this season. It sort of reminds me of Athlone's second season in the National League, how much Athlone sort of took a massive step on because of the learnings they had to make. It'll be one to watch and see where they go from here, how how they how they strengthen up, how they how they push on that a little bit more because there's no doubt about it, Sligo are gonna to have to be a lot better next year. They go into that if they can get a result this weekend, they go into that cup semi-final brewing in confidence, and then you sort of say, Okay, they're at home in the cup semi-final. Can they do can they potentially make a cup final? You know, and then then everything everything's out the window from a bowls viewpoint. But like before season. you look at the bowls for a second, I'm gonna come back to them. Let's just stay on Sligo for a second because you talk about that cup semi-final and and possibly getting ahead of treaty as a as a goal, but I suppose if you want to be real exact about it, Sligo four games left. They play Cork this weekend. They'd be expected to compete in that. That would leave them three points behind DLR and they play them in November. So uh, second last game of the season. So in depending on how this, the rest of the season goes, okay, there's a 13-point swing and the points difference as well. But a couple of positive results for them, a couple of negative results for DLR. Sligo could actually be in a position where they might even get draw level with DLR or even leapfrog them. They could end up finishing a place higher than last year in terms of the number of teams below them. Remember, they beat Cork earlier in the season in Turner's Cross as well and Casey Howe comes to, come to the rescue that day and like, I wouldn't be surprised they beat Cork again this weekend. And then you're talking you're talking of, of, of three wins and three wins out of four games for them and then you're thinking it's a completely different second half of the season and like realistically, you're, you're right in what you're saying. Because the problem is when you look at DLR is where are DLR going to pick up points? Like in a, in in a, in, a, in a scenario from a slugger viewpoint, depending what sort of way shells if if shells get beaten at the weekend, how do shells approach the midweek game with Sligo? Shells mightn't have anything to play for. It could really be a, a bit of a a toss up there. Like there's, there's definitely a case that Sligo have got points to, to, points to play for, and I will touch on that when we, when we get to that that week's fixtures about Sligo having to come to Dublin on a Wednesday night. It's, it's absolute barbaric, but that's that's for another another day. But I, I do think there's realistically that Sligo could pick up six, probably at least six points out of these last four games. Though there's no saying they well, can't. That, that puts DLR in the crosshairs. Let's talk about Bows for a moment. They've only three games left this season. They've the the most games played in the the table so far. They're in fifth, but probably a false position. Wexford one point behind with two games in hand. Uh, Would we'll probably skip past them at some point between now and the close of the season. Will they be happy with a top six position? No, absolutely not. Based off where they were at the, at the break, absolutely not. They'd have been looking, can they squeak into top four? Can they potentially push on and, and, and catch a Shamrock Rovers or a Shells for third place? They, you have to think they haven't picked up a league point since the, since their turn from the international break. Like it, it then goes back to the question of the standards that were being driven in the first half of the season. Like they've, it's it's a it's 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 a tough one because you look at they should have got something out of Bowes out of the out of P Mount game, then they limp over the line against Cabin Tealy, although it was 3-0, they probably should have had Cabin Tealy a lot further. And then since then they, they they've really struggled. Like the question you'd ask is how much have they missed Sarah Rowe? Because Sarah Rowe, while she's not necessarily the best footballer in the league, she'd be somebody who would definitely set standards with drive with drive detail and Having come from an, a constant elite background and, and things like that, so that's that's an interesting one to see how much would they have missed someone like a Sarah Rowe because there's no doubt she had a massive presence around the club and like it's been a really disappointing second half of the season for Bowes. For them, you look at the games that they've got left. They've got Shells, Wexford, and 
can't think of the last one they've got left is but like they've there's some big games there's some big games left and, and the problem is out of that shells and Wexford game can you see them taking a point at the minute no and that's the problem at the minute you can't see them taking any points out of them games it's treaty treaty as well but you at probably, the you probably the favor way, three points from treaty but the way they're going you just can't seem to find the back of the net that's the pop that's the problem and, and when teams get ahead and score against them They've no way of clinging. They've no way of clinging back. Where you, you see a, a team may go and get a second against them, and then they're sort of they're clutching their straws to try and get back into the game because there's no doubt the goal at the weekend. It's a it, it, as much as you won't like saying it. It's a cross. It's it is a, it is a cross, and like that's the only that's the only league goal they've scored. That's the only league goal they've scored since the since the World Cup. But then to be fair as well, on the same note, um, Bose or Sligo scored two of them in their. Out of yeah. their four, two that probably were more intended as as uh, hitting the third one. I think we need to talk about the third one. It's obviously the wind has caught it. Uh, Rachel Kelly has signaled that it's gone over. She's almost gone around the goal to get the ball, and it just dropped into the net. Um, even looking back, it takes three or four lookings to see what actually happened. It's it's bizarre, but it's it's very much wind affected there. Surely, hundred percent. I feel sorry for Rachel because Rachel's been having a, a great season. I think Rachel is. Is third behind Karen Duggan and Saif Dahl for the player most player in the team of the week for, from a from a ball's viewpoint. But you know that that goal sort of reminds me of I don't know if you've seen it. There was a goal in the Ajax women's game recently where a ball was on top of the net and the goalkeeper went to, to slap the ball that was on top of the net off the off and the other ball hits the hits the crossbar and go and goes in. And it sort of reminds you of you know you saw your, your attention is tailed that it's gone one way and then all of a sudden last second it's it's boom. Like listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn around here and slate Rachel because Rachel has saved Bo's bacon a few times this year and Rachel will be as much heartbroken over that than anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with you. And it's uh, it's just one of those days sometimes as a goalkeeper, it just happens. There's feck all you can really do about it. Um let's talk about Next weekend, before we move on to the kind of the couple of other subjects we want to talk about, and that's just before we do, just let's just just for the listeners, just run through the other three games. So obviously, Wexford Rovers, Cork Athlone, and Treaty Galway all failed pitch inspections. It was just a monsoon at the weekend. They've all been rescheduled for the twenty first of October, and there's been a couple of other games moved around to make sure that that can happen um, cleanly. So do check uh, all listings. If you're planning on going to a game, do check uh, with your clubs or on finalist.ie or the league's website. Uh, there have been a couple of changes around. I think five games moved around because of that, but it, it reduces a lot of the the, the issues uh, around midweek games. We will talk about the Sligo Rovers or Shelburne game. It's a bit of a disgrace dragging girls three hours up the road. Uh, not so much for the way up because a lot of these girls are in college. I saw a photo on social media during the week of ATU Sligo's uh, women's team, and it's a lot of those girls are involved in both. Obviously, there would be some girls working or what have you that it might just be problematic for, but it's the coming home after a game. You play a game at quarter to eight, game ends at half nine, it's 10 o'clock by the time you get really into the dressing room and changed and whatever, half 10 before you're on the bus and heading home and you have a three-hour journey back, it's 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning if you stop at some point. Um, and then you got to get up and function the next day in school or work or wherever it might be or college. It's it's not really fair. The problem the problem is, Brefney, is the FAI will turn around and say the league's a professional league. Unfortunately, you and I don't know some things are professional in the league, a lot aren't. And to me, this doesn't sit well because I would have loved to see 
and the opportunity would have been there to, to rejig fixtures or to, or to have bows and shells play on the Wednesday night. They played on the Wednesday night previously. There's an absolute no reason to bring it slug up to Dublin on a Wednesday. And the, the frustrating thing is, is that after the international break, the first game back after the international break on a Saturday, it's bows and shells. Course, it is, but it's, it's 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 there's a lot of moving parts, and we don't sit in the league office when they're making these decisions. Yeah. Uh, we don't know, maybe it suits that uh, the specific set of girls in Sligo, maybe it actually suits them uh, for a bit of a trip at the end of a season when there's very little to play for other than a bit of pride. Um, to have that kind of a trip, um, but then but you have to remember, them girls are a lot of them Sligo girls probably are, are, are and we, we know they would be would be on fully amateur contracts where they wouldn't be Everyone they'd be also they'd also be losing expenses having to leave the ones who are working having to leave work early and stuff like that like this is why I this is why I think when we're having midweek fixtures they always have to be regionalized can't be anything other than that like we've seen even from the refixtures games and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up because we did, we had a listener comment on on the show last week asking us about Treaty and Cork being played on a uh, Cork and Treaty being played on the Friday night. It's now being moved to a Saturday in Bishopstown to because of an un- Ireland underage game. That sort of thing is when we talk about professionalism of the league. Is that the actual? How would you say the the, the powers that be will reward a, a, a Munster FA with games down in Tom and Par- in, in Turner's Cross, but at the detriment of the Cork City women, where they have to move venue because. There's underage games like this, the under under nineteen under seventeen competition. Those games weren't fixed before the women's games. Like if it was the other way around, the women would be told, "No, there's a there's a fixture on. It should be first come first served, and the major tenants should be the first call on that stadium." But it's it's like the FAI rewarding the Munster FA for hosting the fixtures, but punishing Cork City, where you're talking about a professional league like Bishopstown this time of year is probably a bug, and that's probably being nice to it, and. Like to, to send players down there in a, in an elite league to play down there, and like if it was the first time, if it's the first time, we'd still give out it. But it's the fact that how many that's tr- three games this year that Cork City are going to have to play away from Turner's Cross. They had to play one of their All Ireland Cup games in, I think they played it in Tipper and Tipper and Cashel. I think it might have been where where we'd seen the video of the young fella, the youngster robbing the flag, yeah. where the game was held up. Then this will be the second game we played in Bishopstown. It's just not good enough. Yeah, it's not good enough. But we talked about standards on the show before, and I don't want to hash it up again, but I was disappointed there was no commentary in the Sligo Rovers game last weekend. It was it was a tough watch um, with no commentary. The DLR commentary was patchy. They seemed to go through quiet periods. This audio issue, you could barely hear the commentator. Um, when when he did, I had to turn it up full to hear him. And then when I, when I um, tried to watch something else immediately afterwards i nearly hurt my ears because i forgot to turn it back down again um it's we need to get the quality of the coverage better across the league and that comes from the the league office but also from the clubs and how they present themselves because the clubs are ultimately responsible for those games they provide the commentator they pick who it is and we've talked about it before about um having a kind of a oh just tick the box get somebody to do it doesn't matter how good or bad they are there's no real level of standard to it it's just fill fill the gap tick the box move on. And that's just not good enough anymore for a product that people are paying for or that they're looking for people to pay for. We see it across the board. And then the then it goes back to the other side of it is when they complain about people using things like illegal streams and stuff like that, which if people aren't going to pay for a product, they're going to find a different way to use it because they're not, they don't feel comfortable that they're getting value for money. So like that's the problem. And that's where it becomes a lot harder. It becomes a lot 
like I have LOI TV and half the time my sister uses it more than me because I mean, I'm at a game or so where she would use it. I'd only catch up on I'd only catch up on bits of, of bits of things. But like you're right in what you're saying. Like we need to have it across the board. But we see and I know I like I was in the Emirates on Sunday and I was in Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Like Could the Emirates. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. look you look at the Chelsea game. Chelsea game is live on Sky Sports. Yeah. You know, um, this evening alone, Glasgow City, uh, Celtic against Glasgow City in the Scottish Women's Premier Division, Premier League is, not, is live on Sky Sports. You know, but these it's are to watch. Uh, I, I read an article today in one of the English newspapers about uh, the, the WSL plans to be the first billion dollar sports women's sports league, um, in the, in the world within 10 years to have that kind of ambition to be going out on their own from the FA at the end of the season. Uh, to have a plan in place to be financially viable, uh, all of those things are positive steps for them. Now, maybe those specific, maybe we're better off within the umbrella of the FAI. I personally think we probably are. When we've tried it before, it just hasn't worked. Um, and and I think it needs to be a proper plan, and that's what needs to happen. And, and that's where we need to see the focus of the FAI in the league coming in to actually come up with a viable plan, making it part of um, a proper, not just an ad hoc thing like TG Car, which is great, but it needs to be more scheduled. It needs to be more structured. LOI TV, I think, is the is the way forward. It's it means that the clubs have control over the finances. The league control their own image. Uh, that's where we should be going. But it requires investment. Anyway, we get bogged down talking about that forever. Just just before just before you do do that though, you're talking like the thing for me on the U, on the UK on the WSL what they're planning to do. I think that's unbelievable. And I've said this on this multiple shows this year. What is the strategic plan for the women's league? What is the legacy of the World Cup? At the minute, there is absolutely no legacy off the back of the World Cup. We're seeing nothing. Nothing has changed for for Irish football. Nothing has changed in terms of this is what we want to do. This is where we want to go to. This is what we want to do. I'm going, no... to I'm going to disagree with you because I locally where I am, you're, you're all well and good up in the Dublin where you've got uh, for years the DWSL was the strongest league in, in the country. Then you had the MGL and another But there's league. more going on between them two at the minute even. I, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of that. But... The, on the basics of it, if you've got a daughter or a young girl in your life, she has football at a competitive level the whole way up from probably seven or eight or younger right up to whenever she feels she needs to retire from the sport. Um, for the first time ever, only two weeks ago, uh, we've had a junior women's league in Sligo Leitrim, which is where I'm based. And to see the first game of that played between my local club and the two teams in Leitrim ironically played the first game in it um, in this like Leitrim league, but it was they to have that facility and straight away, I think it's 11 or 12 teams in the league. Um, so you have 12 teams in the league here, take a squad of 15 to 20 players, 240 girls that weren't facilitated within the sport three weeks ago are now actively playing week in, week out and have a full season of fixtures ahead of I'm them. I'm going to stop you. Legacy of the World Cup. That I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you. Who who put that together? Who was uh, the driver behind that? Uh, it was Catherine Heinemann, as far as I. There you go. And the local leagues. So yeah. Nor- former Northern Ireland national and the local leagues, but it's them going about it themselves. What I'm saying to you is, we don't see the FAI coming out and saying this is our vision for women's football. This is where we want to get to. The legacy is going to be the grassroots pushing up rather than it coming down. The FAI historically have never been great at leading, let's be honest. And apologies to anyone in the FAI. And there are some really good people in in, uh, Abbottstown and and doing some phenomenal work. But 
the FAI as a culture has never been about dragging people up. It's always been about kind of what we've seen in John Delaney year and all the stuff that's gone on there. We're probably going to see more of it as it breaks, but it's it's about the grassroots girls going, I want a team, I want a league, and going doing it themselves and forcing that up. We've seen a big change now in the GAA. They brought in a, a rule last week that they're going to have an equal split on their uh, management committee. That's possibly in the short term unworkable, but it's going to happen over time where we're going to see women's impact in that organization going forward. They're going to merge Camogie and ladies football, and that's going to be phenomenal for, for that sport. I think the WFAI merger 10 or 15 years ago now uh, with the FAI kind of happened seamlessly. We haven't really seen a route for women. The women that were involved are still involved, but for new, fresh voices coming through. And we're going to see people like, I'm going to call her Catherine, but it's Dizzy, as anyone knows around uh, the Northwest, um, to, to push forward and to, to make an, a difference in local football in every area. We need a vibrant junior league in every single area. That overflow players who come out of under-19s don't get signed by a National League team or coming through just a juvenile club and getting to play until they're into their late 20s, early 30s. That needs to be the norm, and it's becoming it, and that is the legacy. FAI might not have anything to do with it, but ultimately you could argue that the FAI, and I I'm, I'm, can't believe I'm defending the FAI here, but ultimately um, the FAI put in place that st- st- Again, because of a strike potentially, but the resources were made available to the women's, whether it was Vera or not, whether it was uh, the players or not, whether it was the resources or not, the FAI created that environment and facilitated it and we got to a World Cup and we're seeing that legacy. Uh, We're not going to see the the full impact of that legacy for another five or six years, but it's definitely coming through. I fear that without people like Dizzy, we're we're not going to see where, because we're not going to see people who, unless people are going to take the take it by the scruff and actually do it themselves. I would like to see like the FAI, what their plans are, because I, I agree with you. Grassroots football is, is the most important. Like I have no affiliation with grassroots football at all. I've never been affiliated with a, with a local soccer club, but for me, that's where the next group of talent come from. And I a hundred percent agree with you, but I'd like to see what their plans are, how they're going to expand grassroots, how they're going to expand the elite, the elite how they're going to, Emerge the gap in between because the problem is, is since the World Cup, all we've heard it since the World Cup, and I hate to drag it up again, is we've heard what happened with Vera, what's happened there, what's gone on, Eileen coming in. We haven't actually heard anything else about what what impacts that, what plans they have, the how they plan to, to grow. Because even when the plan, the, the the meetings had the Jonathan Hill and Jonathan Hill addressed the media recently, everything was nearly around Vera, everything was nearly around what's going on with Vera. Whereas I'd like to know what their plans are because. Realistically, Irish football is, and when we look at what's happening abroad, Irish football is miles, is miles behind. And like, I, I would love to see, as you say, I'd love to see every every county having gra- grassroots football, women's football all the way through. I'd love to see every every county having the opportunity to play, whether it be the what the, the Gainer Cup, every having things like that, and seeing these next generation of players that will eventually come on and play for them. But the problem is, at the minute, we don't know what's actually going to happen. There's no, I, I think they should realistically have another, a new, whether it be engagement with all stakeholders on women's football, because any plans that they would have had in the last couple of years are completely outdated. They're completely gone. Um, But I'm glad to see what's happening in Sligo Leitrim, because that can only benefit Sligo Rovers. If Sligo Rovers can pick one or two players out of there every couple, every year or so to, to help grow Sligo Rovers, that's a massive benefit, because we had the question constantly, 
where is Sligo Rovers going to get the players from? There's an avenue now that's been open to them. We see a little bit, I think there was stuff in Longford as well recently where about, you know, the women's football in Longford. And I think we need it every we need it everywhere. I think me and you may need to do a little bit more to help grow, to help to promote these, help them get like and that's the thing, like we're 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 more than willing to help and support and 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 and, and do anything we can in their way to, to sort of push them on. But I just think we all need to work together to make sure that we have a real impact and we have we secure Irish football, for, Irish soccer for the next, women's soccer for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Well, let's talk about the immediate future, which is later this month, Ireland face Albania. The game's down uh, in Fatala. game has been sold out instantly almost uh, for that game. Um, 8,000 tickets, or give or take, uh, in, in Tala Stadium, the new stand not quite ready to open just yet. I called it at the time that I think the FAI should take a bit of a gamble and and back the support because nobody came to see Northern Ireland. No disrespect to Northern Ireland. There was a thousand fans there, but there was 40 odd thousand there to see the Republic of, or 30 odd thousand. I can't remember the exact number, 35,000 or something there to see the Republic of Ireland. Should we have backed them? And should we be in, ta- in the Aviva? Is it too late to move it to the Aviva? That's what I'd like to know. I'd say yes. Anybody who, well, because I got I got hold of the pre-selling today before tickets went on sale, and I said anybody who wants it, let me know. I'll give it to you. I warned everybody who come looking for tickets at me, tickets are gonna fly. They're gonna fly out the door. They flew out the door probably quicker or as quick as the French game, which is a massive game. And considering Albania are will be classed as a minnow. The problem is, is Brefney is like I would like to know, did they do any due diligence about seeing could they host it in the Aviva? Was it a case that they may have been told a 545 kickoff in the Aviva doesn't work? Rusha Littlejohn, I said you off air, was on off the ball last week and she was saying they need to go with it, go with it and jump at the jump at it and sort of take a punt on it. There's a couple of things and I've highlighted them to you off air. The FAI Junior Cup Finals and Intermediate Cup Finals used to be played in Aviva with about a thousand people there. I've been at AIL rugby games where Wanderers have played on the main pitch in Aviva and they've opened the stadium with that. I know they say twenty eight thousand to break even, but surely yeah, is is the question I would have is the FAI debt the reason why they're not doing it? They're not willing to do it because we were in Hamden Park. Hamden Park is, is, is a bigger stadium. There was about 12,000 there for the, for the World Cup playoff. They still opened it. They put the tickets on sale before the Ireland game. They played the, the Austria game, playoff game there as well. And they put the Ireland tickets on sale just in case they got through. So, like, if if a small if Scotland are willing to do it and sort of have the, have the punt, I'd like to know why the FAI didn't say, okay. Let's just roll the dice. If we get 15, 20, if we get 20,000 there, let's just roll the dice. Let's continue to build on it. Let's push. Like, there's no doubt the Saturday for, uh, one o'clock kickoff was much was much better. The 5.45 on, on the Friday probably doesn't suit as many people. But if you're going to do an Aviva game on a, on a Friday or 5.45, it probably gives people a better chance of getting home after yeah. the, off the back of it as well. And I don't think they will move this. It'll be interesting to see if they sort of have any conversations off the back of the hung- for the Hungary game. That was my next it, question was, if you're now in that situation where you're planning out what's going to happen for the Hungary game, based on how quickly this sold out, do we change it and go to the Viva and say, okay, let's spin the dice and see how it goes? Well, realistically, we can top. Realistically, we could we could top the group, secure top place space, space in, in league in our group for the Hungary game. Like I hadn't even left Budapest last last Thursday. And the pre-sale had literally just dropped. There was no inkling that it was going to drop. There was no. There was. It was just all of a sudden dropped out. I don't think many fans were were aware. But like the thing for me is, and this is what this is what makes me smile and makes me, you know, you sort of giggle when you look back at it. Is that 
there's now people wanting to support form a women's supporters club. Yeah. When have we ever had that? That they want to form a women's women's supporters club to support Ireland, whether it be home or away, and sort of we've never had that when it comes to the women. Like I know Gary Spain does a lot of work with helping the help. He's the, he's the men's supporter supporters officer and sort of does a lot of work helping the women. But the fans actually want to create their own supporters group. Like we've never had that. Yeah. And oh, it's great, it's, 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 it's amazing, positive, but again, it boils, boils down to uh, what is the st- strategy, what is the plan? On I hope that's something we will see out of the FAI in the next few months, maybe ahead of the European qualifiers early next year, or potentially a Nations League semi final series, uh, semi final slash hopefully final series, uh, towards the start of next year. I think it's something that they that we I'd love to see them coming out with a proper strategy that, um, how, where they're going to go and the business model like because I think that's key now for clubs and clubs are probably guilty of this as well rather than just rocking up and hoping we can get through the year is there a business model there that will support the functionality of a, of a National League women's team um, there was a couple of other things we talked about off air that we might want to chat about before we kind of get, get delve into the, the fixtures of this weekend uh, and I'm struggling to remember off the top of my head what it was but I think um, one of the things was definitely some of the performances of the Irish girls around the the world and one in particular has been standing out for the last couple of weeks uh, we both interviewed her after the Northern Ireland game and she seems to be in a really happy place uh, both on and off the field at the moment Kira Caruso She's just buzzing, scored another goal for San Diego at the weekend. I put them top of the league and really put them in the shakeup for the NWSL, the top top position in the league. I know there's a kind of a post-season thing, but uh, there is still a uh, kind of tops of the table. Uh, kudos that go with that. Three, three goals in seven or eight days. Scored against Northern Ireland. Scored against Hungary. And then scored for San Diego Wave. Like, that's just somebody who had gone from... Previously, only scored two goals for Ireland in all our caps. All of a sudden, doubles at Italian in a week. Scores for a club. Scored for a club last month as well. And the thing is, she's she's starting the game for San Diego Wave. It's not as if she's coming off the bench with a couple of with twenty minutes to go and making an impact and scoring. She's actually starting in these games. I think that's a, a credit to Kira because you said to me, <clears throat> a happy player, a happy player can be a, you know can be a dangerous player. She's playing. She's she's back in San Diego. She she's loving. She seems to be loving life. And she's having she's having fun on the pitch. Like, what more? What more can you? What, what more can you really want? We've seen other players who've sort of struggled a little bit for game time, where Kira's sort of taken advantage of everything that's happened, and she's sort of built on that momentum from the World Cup to to sort of push on. And like, there's no doubt when when San Diego Waves came, we were probably a lot of people probably thinking that's a weird move going from playing in the championship in England to starting in the NWSL. Like, not a lot of people would do that, but I'd say Kieran and herself probably thought, okay, I'll come in here. I mightn't start many games at start. I'm at home. I'll get to enjoy football. But then all of a sudden, she's worked hard. She's got herself into the team. She's scoring goals and she's getting her. She's getting her award. Casey Stoney seems to be happy, happy with her. Like it's it, it all bodes well for it all bodes well for Ireland because the problem is we do have a lot of players in the minute who aren't necessarily starting for clubs week in week out or some players who maybe aren't necessarily getting game time. I know one player we did speak about in recent weeks. Who missed the World Cup through injury has now signed with a club. Megan Campbell signed for for Everton. Be interesting to see how Megan gets on this year. Can she can she put the injuries behind her? Can she? The videos that I've seen, she seems to be working hard to sort of get herself back fit to get herself in a position because at the minute it looks as though Nifahi is going to be out for six to eight weeks. Eva Mannion's at a at a similar at a similar time frame as well. So neither of them are probably going to play in any of the Nations League games. 
So if Megan can get herself a couple of game, a couple of games, can Megan maybe force us force her way back into the squad even for the the hunger in Northern Ireland games? That'll be where she probably is aiming. Let's talk about that for a moment because we've spoken at length about how many players we have at a decent level in England, and I think it's thirteen. It's a baker's dozen of players in the WSL at the moment, spread across with five or six different clubs. Uh, last weekend, opening weekend of the WSL, uh, only three of them featured off in, in got got minutes. That's a concern. Our first choice goalkeeper, Courtney Brosnan, not getting a look in. There's a couple of girls in the injured list, fair enough. Uh, but the likes of uh, Izzy Atkinson, Jess Zoo, Jesse Stapleton, uh, Maggie Walsh, I know there's injuries in, involved in some of those cases as well. Chloe Mustaki not playing at Bristol. Um, worrying? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's wor- absolutely it's worrying. And but the, the question you gotta you gotta ask is is What's Eileen Gleeson going to do? Well, we assume it's Eileen Gleeson at this stage because there's been no further communication. What are the Irish management going to do when they're picking that squad for that for that game? Because you look at they you come into camp, I think it's the the twenty third. It's the twenty third. It was so it's not a long time. Players aren't playing. We see Abby Larkin come off the bench twice for for Glasgow. Emily Whelan coming off the bench. Like the problem is, is there's a lot of players that aren't playing football. A lot of these players are probably relying a little bit on credit in the bank in terms of international call-ups. And the problem with that is, is that credit in the bank is great, but if you're not playing, if you haven't played football and you're coming into these sort of games, you're not you're not as sharp as you can be. You're not as as, as fit as you could be. And 100, it's a it's a worry. Heather Payne obviously coming off the bench to make her ever her WSL debut with Everton. Egan Connolly, captain of of Bristol City, and Katie Katie being the only one. I I can't really see Megan Walsh playing much football this year, especially with. Mackenzie Arnold being given the captaincy at West Ham. Jess Sue sort of still coming back from that ACL. How fit is she really? Was it put her on the bench just to give her a bit of a, a confidence booster? Might that might have been? Izzy's a strange one because Izzy's the sort of player that she comes. She's not. She's not. She's not named in an Ireland squad. Then comes in and plays. Then goes back to West Ham. Doesn't necessarily play or twice. Like she did that for the World Cup, and then she's done it again for the the first opening Nations League games, and I think that speaks to her character and her strength of mentally as well to kind of come back from being dropped twice to come back into the the side. But the other problem is, is she may not get that opportunity if she's not playing at West Ham. So if she doesn't play much minutes at West Ham between now and January, she may need to. She may be the sort of player that may need to look at going on loan because she hasn't played a lot of football in the last couple of years. Like Jess Sue could be a similar similar example. If Jess Sue if Jess Sue doesn't play many minutes by Christmas, she might need to look at getting minutes because Jess is Jess is another one that like the the year out was a long is a long time and at that at that level, can Jesse Stapleton stay fit is another question at West Ham and like you look you mentioned Chloe Mustaki. like Chloe's in a difficult position. Chloe would have played a bit of minutes from last year. But Chloe would have also been injured for quite a lot up until the build up at the end of the season, so. It's hard to really see. Is she going to have to work hard to get back in? Will she get back in? It's a difficult one because it's a massive step up from the championship to the to the WSL. We've talked about the goalkeeper position, and we're both concerned, I suppose, in terms of the the lack of depth in that position for Ireland. We have players, but la- sorry, depth of experience is probably a better way of putting it than than that. We've got plenty of girls playing in the professional leagues around the the place. Uh, three of them at the top end of the championship, or the, at least in terms of minutes played. Uh, Nisha McAloon, Sophie Whitehouse, Grace Maloney, all playing uh, first choice for their respective clubs in the championship. The two girls in the Premier League, Megan Walsh and uh, Chloe, um, not Chloe, Courtney Brosnan, not getting a, a, a minute last weekend. Goalkeeper is that kind of position. It's a possession-based jersey. Uh, you're unlikely to, to lose it unless the person ahead of you makes a mistake. 
So realistically, is that a worry for us going forward that we might have two goalkeepers, our first, arguably our first two choices, uh, not playing much football? Well, obviously, it's a, it's a massive worry, but the problem is, is and, and it refers back to Stephen Kenny as well, is we've seen for so for so long goalkeepers still getting picked when they, when they're sitting on the bench week in week out for the club, and it sends a bad it sends a bad signal as well because if you get put into a game and then like we've seen Cuevin Callagher got put into an Ireland game earlier in the year, didn't really have the best of performance because he hasn't played an awful lot of games. I think he's, he's played, may have played. 20 odd senior football games, he's been he's 20, he's 20 odd, and same likewise goes for the women. Like, how how many games will Megan Walsh play this year? She might play three, four, if even Conti Cup games, she might play an FA, an FA Cup game. Courtney, like, the problem with Courtney is, is that herself and Emily Armsey were sort of flip flopping a bit last year as well. She was in, she was out. Then they've also got the under 19 England goalkeeper as well, Everton have signed as well. So, what's going to happen there? Could be a bit of a difficult. It could be a difficult bit of a difficult season for Courtney. She's definitely going to have to fight. But then you're right in what you're saying with Grace Maloney and Sophie Whitehouse in particular, two of the two of the goalkeepers in around the World Cup. Grace is Grace is sort of digging London City Lionesses out of it a little bit at times with some big big clutch saves. And Sophie's doing Sophie's doing well. But the problem is, is will an Ireland manager be willing to actually give him a give him an opportunity and give him a try? Like we said in the show last week, I think it was February 2022, the last time a different goalkeeper played in goal. Like that scares me because <laughs> what happens if a player gets injured and the other players haven't played with any of the other players? Mistakes are mistakes are bound to happen. A lack of a lack of communication or a lack of a, a cohesion. You can play all the short side of the games you want, but like I would really like to see one of the one of the other goalkeepers get a bit of an opportunity or get get a game just to sort of get a bit of a bed and in situation because it's it's massively concerning and. As I said last week, what happens if Courtney gets injured? No, it's it's a big worry for me anyway. But uh, I suppose, listen, we there are people in position to, to hopefully be able to answer those questions if and when the case arises. I don't envy uh, Eileen Gleeson at all. Uh, in terms of other players who are kind of knocking around, having a good season so far, um, and just not quite been able to get onto the field for Ireland, Hayley Nolan, we've talked about her plenty on the show. Um, thoughts on her maybe featuring against Albania worth minutes? She's doing really well in a Palace side that are doing fairly well. Eight points from four in the in the championship so far. I feel so sorry for Hayley Nolan. That's been honest with you, because Hayley Nolan's just been sort of cast cast away a little bit in terms of the way Vera sort of dropped after being in all the squads. I'd love to see Hayley get an opportunity. She converted from a midfielder to a centre back, which is never easy. And she, you, you would swear she's been playing centre back for years. The way she is, like she's a big stature on her. She's she's. She's tall. She's got a. She's got a good. She's good defensively. I'd love to see Haley get an opportunity. The problem is, is I do expect Diane Caldwell will start against Albania, especially considering she's on. She's gone for cap hundred. She may even lead the team out that night. So I expect that to happen. Then around there, you'd sort of you'd expect. Like, I, we would like to see players get an opportunity, but I don't really see Ireland or Vera or Ireland giving players an opportunity. Likewise, we've seen with Vera where it was always the same sort of 10, 11 players. Like we, we talked to death about substitutes being similar. Like for me, there's players like I'd love to see Megan Mackey get a get a cracker at Ireland, playing with Harvard, Captain Ireland on the nineteens. I'd love to see players like that get an opportunity. I'd look this is why I sort of cry out for the likes of an under twenty three team. So international teams, international management can have a look at these players in in a in a high intense environment and actually say, Okay, let's let's see what they're about because at the minute it just seems to be the case of the same 12, 13, 14 players play for Ireland all the time. 
what's the point in having a squad of 23, 24, 25 if you're only going to use them 12 players? That's my that's what I don't like about it. Yeah, it's very close to 15 or 16, but I do take your point. There's, there's five or six girls in every squad that, let's be honest, they know, we know, the whole country knows they ain't going to see any game time, and that's not really a healthy how, how do you think they feel? Like, yeah. it must no, be I, hard coming in. It must be hard, particularly if you're coming in from the States um, and not getting a run, you know. Um, Felt so sorry for Marissa Shiva. Felt so sorry for her. Yeah, but not a minute over, over two games. It's it's rough. But Didn't it is make the bench, Didn't uh, make the bench name, in a second. Another name that's cropped up for me this season as well, she's playing well with Southampton at the moment, is Emily Kraft. They're running well in the championship. She's even got a goal, mind you. Uh, a nice finish from her last week. Um, she featured underage for Ireland, but... Could we see her in an Ireland jersey again, or is it a little bit too early for her in her career just yet? She's twenty-one. I'd say, I'd say potentially a bit early. I think she needs a regular. Last season, she sort of struggled a bit with game time with Lewis, and that's why she made the move to Southampton. But there's no doubt about it. she's she's got quality. She's got quality. She's got some quality about her. But like, that's the problem. We've a lot of youngsters who may have shipped could nearly sh- uh, sail sh- uh, the ship is nearly sailed without without people even knowing who they are that would have played underage football for Ireland because. Because of the lack of, of players that game to, getting game time, like this is where this is why when you've got even got a home a home base camp and you know a camp where you're at home that you could even invite players in. We've seen players being invited in before and sort of train well and then being brought into the squad. This is the sort of thing where you'd like to see a couple of players even have a look at a player for a couple of days, have a look at these sort of players, and just if they're not, if you don't think they're good enough, you don't think they're good enough. But at least you can say I had a look at this player, I had a look at this player. Like I'd love to know. I'd love to know, like how many, how how many players, how many people are tracking the likes of even even from within the FAI, the sort of stuff that that's being done on final whistle with where who's playing where in terms of European players playing abroad and stuff like that, how many minutes they're playing? Because I'd say I'd say there's a lot of people now starting to pay attention, especially when we're talking about these sort of players and we're talking about that. And like I can't, at the minute, I can't see many players getting an opportunity. But like I always think back to a Gaelic football style team where. Uh, Pat Gilroy when he took over as Dublin manager he nearly had a he split the county into four and had like a, a trials games multiple trials games where he literally brought players from all levels to play to see what they were like like this is that's why I'd like to see Ireland bring in a couple of players just have a look at players and say okay because people talk about them people talk about who's doing well who's doing what so let's say because if you turn around and say okay they, they weren't good enough or they didn't fit in at least you can turn around and say I tried yeah, well, as you mentioned, it's a good opportunity for me to segue into the actual coverage we do give on finalwhistle.ie to these teams. As you can see here, uh, with each of the tabs, you can go through and see who's playing in each league. There's five players currently eligible. Nicole D- Douglas, uncapped as yet, uh, hasn't quite declared for Ireland, but is eligible, so we've included her in the list. Same WSL across the championship. Deirdre Bradley, another one who ticks that box. Maybe we'll see her in an Ireland jersey. You're, you're, you're intent on getting that there, Deirdre Bradley, am, across the <laughs> I think she'll do a good job for us. Uh, uh, Darren Caldwell played last night in a 3-1 win for FC Zurich. Uh, she's got four games so far, and as you can see, through Belgium, Scotland, Spain, and the uh, Women's Champions League as well. Of course, those games coming back around next week. Um, it's uh, It's been an interesting, I suppose, time for everybody involved in this sport. We have a couple of Irish girls left in the Champions League, not as many as we would have liked. We kind of expected to see Arsenal uh, in there and a couple of other teams as well. But uh, we, we will have a couple of Irish girls in there. Um, your thoughts on what we can look forward to through the, the Champions League group stages? I'm, 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 
I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I think um I think the zone have, have done a little sneaky thing with the fact of the way they've got all the, the they've got the coverage sewn up. Their coverage has been great. Um showing games on YouTube as well to try and get entice people. Like I think it's great. I think the the format the format at the minute isn't amazing in, t- in terms of qualifying for it. It sort of suits a lot of the bigger the bigger leagues, and I think that's something that maybe changed over time. But listen, I'm looking forward to sitting down when Champions League games are on midweek, putting it on, feet up, you know, and enjoying them. Um, I enjoy watching high class games. Barcelona were live on YouTube to, live on YouTube tonight, and that's the sort of team getting to watch these sort of players on a regular basis. What more could you want for? Like women's football around the world is starting to thrive now. We're seeing more and more coverage or more and more availability in terms of you Hero. know. Yeah, it's great. Here's the fixtures for next week. Uh, start with Eintracht Frankfurt and Sparta Prague right down the whole way through. Highlight United of United PSG is going to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, it's eight o'clock next. I think it's next Tuesday evening. I'm not sure where people can see it, but they can find it online. I assume, assume it later beyond probably beyond potentially be beyond the zone. But the funny thing is, for the people who are who are, who are reading in and looking at looking or looking at at the screen or, or listening to us, this is only the champ the champions path and the league path. They haven't even got to the group stage yet, and like you're already seeing teams like Real Madrid coming at your Real you've got your Real Madrid's you've got your United's Roma's PSG's Wolfsburg like you've got ex-champions there and all yeah. and Glasgow City which will have a couple of which will have three Irish at the minute because I think Claire Walsh is still injured but like it's mad when you look at that and then Diane Caldwell's FC Zurich with a, with a cracking little tie against Ajax like yeah, so we have five Irish girls, I suppose, in squads at the moment that we can look forward to. Hopefully, they all qualify. Uh, the Champions League for women is six, uh, isn't that? Huh? Six, isn't it? Oh, you've got me now. Three in Glasgow, one in Zurich. Four in Glasgow. Four. Oh yeah, of course, Abby Larkin. I forgot all about her. Yeah. Uh, Manchester. Uh, apologies, Abby. Um, Manchester United, of course. Aoife Caldwell uh, for Aoife uh, Mannion, Mannion as well. So. Um, the Champions League does work on a four groups of four basis, and then obviously top two into the quarterfinals. So if they win this tie uh, over two legs, um, they will get into that group stage, and I think they play six games across that through the, the rest of the season. So it's a bit more what we're used to seeing in the men's side of the of the house. Yeah, and the only problem is it's the reason why it's so late is obviously due to the fact that the World Cup being on a lot later than the the men's World Cups tend to be on. So that's why the, the competition is a lot later kicking off this year. So. It'll be great. The only thing is, though, a lot of it will potentially be compact as well. But listen, you, you Tuesday, Wednesday evenings, you'll have loads of women's football to watch. Absolutely. And of course, that is also true here at home in the Women's National League, the Women's Premier Division of the League of Ireland. Five games down for decision this weekend. I'm just going to bring them up on screen here as I can. Uh, fixtures for this weekend. Piemont versus Treaty. Sligo Rovers versus Cork. Shamrock Rovers versus Shells. That's a uh, I think I've a time wrong on that. 445. Uh, I, I changed it before, but didn't refresh the page. Bowes, 6 o'clock uh, against Wexford Utes and at Lone Town versus DLR Waves at 7 o'clock. And the league table, as you said, interesting at the top. Piemont could put one hand on the league title with victory over Treaty at the weekend. It would give them a, a huge opportunity. They could probably put a second, a finger from the second hand on if Shells and Shamrock Rovers fail to beat each other in Tala on Saturday. That's going to be where most people's attention will be this weekend. It's a huge, huge game uh, for the future of the league. And I suppose, ironically, probably most likely to benefit Piemont one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Piemont will either have two teams drop points or they'll have one team less to, less to, less to compend with. Like the interesting thing from that situation is, is, is like if, if Shells lose and Shamrock Rovers win, Shamrock Rovers don't beat Wexford the week after. 
it's just going to be big game after big game after big game. And like, listen, for the fact that P-Mount have dropped points in only two games this season with the turnover and squad they've had, like to me, that that in itself is the commandment of, of the management staff and, and the players because they will be disappointed with the fact that they dropped the points against Shamrock Rovers. They dropped the two points against Shamrock Rovers because they were brilliant that day. Just Amanda Budden was unbelievable. And then against Shells, it was the second half where Shells sort of blitzed them. But when these two, when Shells and Rovers met earlier on the season, they sort of struggled to, to, to combat each other. I do think Shells, Shamrock Rovers are probably a stronger team now. I think Shells are probably a little bit weaker. The signings maybe haven't been haven't been as good for Shells. I do favour Shamrock Rovers. I do favour Shamrock Rovers in that game. But like, I think it's 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 definitely the one where all all the eyes will be on this weekend, and I can't wait to head to Tala. No, it's going to be a really really good game, and I think uh, what it shows for me is in the bigger picture of things. We look at that league table. There's 11 names on that league table, clubs uh, in the league, two of them not attached to men's teams, and one of them, after getting, let's be honest about it, after getting absolutely decimated in terms of the experience from their squad in the off-season last year, to come out as competitive and as focused as they have done, for me, is probably the story of women's sport in the country this year. And I know they won't because they don't make headlines in the same way as maybe some of the, the other women's teams do across the, the national and international stage here in Ireland but for me I think uh, PMAT United as a club to pull off what they've done and and forgetting about budgets and, and investment and and all of that stuff that comes with it to lose the players they've lost and to be in the position they're in uh, speaks volumes to the work that's been put in there by countless people um, from everybody involved behind the scenes in the club to the management and especially to the players and the, uh, particularly the ones with experience who stuck around um, when everyone else was kind of jumping ship, it was uh, uh, Karen Duggan. Karen Duggan. Karen Duggan is the big. As soon as Karen Duggan went on social media and said she's staying at Pmount, that's when I start really looking. The thing about Pmount is Pmount should not be in the top three with the oh, squad they had. Should be down they should not three hundred percent on and in principle in terms of the, the resources and the facilities yeah. and and everything that goes with it, they shouldn't be in the in the ball game at all. No, and and the credit has to go to to James Bryan. There and the man and, and the players because the players have stood up and been counted. Like there's so many times I've watched Piedmont this year where I've thought last year you lose that game, last year you drop points here, last year you draw that game, and this year it's just like the the Bowes game is what sticks out for me. The first game back after the break, they were very sluggish, they they struggled over the line, but they kept going until the 90th minute and they got the reward. I think it was in the 89th minute and they just kept going until the final whistle. Whereas previous games they'd have got frustrated, they got they'd have got annoyed, they'd have sort of Huffed and puffed, where they just remained that that composed and like, it's just amazing to think the story that's that's potentially going that could potentially be written there. And if they do win the league, and I'm going to say if, like they do, they deserve so much credit for what happened two years ago if they do win the league. No, one hundred percent. I think the credit also has to go to Dennis Cummins and everyone involved off the field as well 100%. because. Uh, how they keep that that going year after year to such level is, is phenomenal. And that's us for the week. Uh, it's an exciting weekend. Everyone's going to be glued on Tala uh, for the eyeballs, but also around the globe as, as the rest of the, the, I suppose, the games kick off with Irish players involved. The, all the major leagues back up and running again now. Champions League back again next week. It's really beginning to hot up as the league title race here in Ireland. Hopefully keeps a bit of steam because it could uh, come to a very stunning and halt this weekend. Aaron, another week done. Thanks very much for joining me. We'll be back again next week with another look around the grounds of the Women's Premier Division here in the League of Ireland. Talk to you then. <laughs>